while there is some evidence that carbohydrates, higher carbohydrate intakes can increase resistance training performance compared to lower carbohydrate intakes, it is of very low quality. And there are many alternative explanations in these studies for why these findings could have been the case rather than carbohydrates per se. Welcome to the Simland podcast. I'm your host Simland, and our guest today is Menno Henselmans. Menno is an online physique coach, researcher, entrepreneur, and bodybuilder. This is a two-part podcast. In the first part, we talk about a recent meta-analysis Menno and his colleagues did on the effect of carbohydrate intake and muscle strength. In the second part, we're going to talk about his new book, The Science of Cell Control. This episode is sponsored by Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is a healthy version of all the unhealthy cereal you loved as a child. It's very high in protein, low carbs, zero grams of sugar, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and with only natural flavors. The main ingredient is actually whey protein. There are many different versions of the nostalgic flavors such as frosted, fruity, cocoa and peanut butter. My favorite one is the cocoa. They actually taste better than the original formulations with more crunchiness. Magic Spoon cereal gives you 0 grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein and only 4 net grams of carbs in each serving. If you want to try out Magic Spoon then head over to magicspoon.com forward slash seam and use the code SIIM to get $5 off any order. Magic Spoon is so confident in the product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they're gonna refund your money, no questions asked. So head over to magicspoon.com forward slash seam and use the code SIIM to save $5 off your order. Mano, welcome to the show. Hello, good to be back. <laughs> yeah, I think the first time we were like, even like up to three or four years ago. <laughs> so it's yeah, been it might be longer even. It's yeah, a yeah. long time ago. It's a long, long time ago, yeah. But the uh, reason I had you on back is uh, you recently published this uh, new uh, study or like a meta-analysis about different kinds of studies about carbohydrates and uh, strength performance. And uh, yeah, maybe let's you know, start with uh, what were some of the main findings that you found there? Mm-hmm. Sure. I think um, with, with carbohydrate requirements, the, ma- the main thing a lot of people don't know, and even I didn't know, I wasn't aware, that there has never been a systematic review so there have been many position standpoints and review papers on how many carbs bodybuilders powerlifters strength trainers need and the effect on performance and the like but they've never been systematic what that means is that it's basically i mean very roughly put it's just someone's opinion it's cited by scientific references but you're free to pick whichever references suit your agenda so it's it's not very rigorous and we conducted a systematic review, which means that you have to look at the entire literature using predefined criteria. You have to define what it is you're studying, what outcomes you're interested in, like repetitions to failure, maximum strength, those kind of things. And based on that, you have to just look at all the evidence there is. And you cannot leave anything out. And based on that, we found that while there is some evidence that carbohydrates, higher carbohydrate intakes can increase resistance training performance like weightlifting, compared to lower carbohydrate intakes, it is of very low quality. And there are many alternative explanations in these studies for why these findings could have been the case, rather than carbohydrates per se. One big one is that in literally all of the studies, finding benefits of higher carbohydrate intakes compared to lower ones, the higher carbohydrate intake group also consumed a higher total energy intake, which is a huge confounder, right? especially um, since in the last few years, we have a couple of great studies, especially from uh, Naharudin, Bin Naharudin's lab, 
they showed conclusively for the first time that the perception of having eaten increased performance compared to not having eaten. And it increased performance similarly to actually having eaten a breakfast. So they compared a group not consuming anything. Uh, they trained after an overnight fast, so in the morning, and they didn't consume anything. They just had water. And then one group had an actual breakfast, and then the other group had a similar breakfast. It was like gels. And it was actually devoid of calories. So it just had sweeteners, flavor compounds. Um, uh, it was like, like I said, it was a modified kind of gel thing. Uh, so it's just very processed food. But they told them it had energy. And that improved performance similarly as the actual breakfast with carbohydrates, which goes to show that it was not the carbohydrates that improved performance, but simply the idea that people cannot train without having eaten. Mm. Um, and a subsequent study showed that hunger probably also plays a big role because they replicated that study. And then they had a condition where the weird processed gel breakfast was uh, basically um, a liquid. And in the other condition, it was uh, more solid. And then they found that the more solid uh, variants improved performance more and also suppressed appetite more. So it may be the case that in many of these studies where people um, have to go to the lab in the morning, which often means it's already a few hours since, since they woke up and they can't have eaten, they can't have breakfast, they were just hungry. And when you're hungry, um, in general, any, any negative emotional state can reduce your motivation and can increase your perception of effort. Because basically, the brain's always monitoring our level of well-being. And if you have to exert willpower, which was the topic of uh, my recent book, you have to expand. Um, it, it makes you unhappier, essentially. Mm. So mm. willpower and happiness are always strongly related. In that sense, being hungry is also by way of words like hangry, right? Mm. It just makes, it, makes you more effort averse. Right. So overall, um, I mean, we, we went into much more granular detail on that. That's, I think, the main gist that the, there, there is no high-quality evidence. And most of the evidence also shows that um, lower-carb conditions perform perfectly well, regardless of time frame, with a few scant exceptions that most people don't need to worry about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, then it uh, did assess mostly like on like strength. And uh, there is like a difference between like strength and hypertrophy and strength and endurance, for example. So, uh, yeah, like what, is, what, what was defined as strength? in this uh, study like yeah we look mostly at performance including strength so repetitions to failure total repetitions in a workout uh, how many repetitions you can do at 70 percent of 1rm your mm -hmm. actual 1rm strength we looked at all of those measures and we also had a section on muscle growth which was not the main focus of the paper you know, we have a, a new paper in uh, in the makings where we're specifically going into muscle growth but I've, i don't think the findings will be very different the, the majority of papers did not find any influence of carbohydrate intake on muscle hypertrophy in long-term studies. Um, the only, there were five papers that did find a benefit in favor of higher carbs, but they were most likely all confounded by a higher energy intake in the higher carbohydrate group. We know that higher energy intakes can help with muscle growth, so that's a big uh, limitation, of course. And even in ketogenic conditions, there is often no difference, especially not when you account for glycogen storage and water retention. Because when people go into uh, a low-carb diet, especially a ketogenic diet, as your listeners are probably well aware, you're, you're going to lose a lot of water. And that's also why you look drier and people feel like they look um, 
leaner. You, you actually do. You're literally drier and leaner and less bloated. Uh, but that, that reduces your body weight. And then if you do a body composition scan, that can register as a loss of lean body mass because mm. it is lean body mass. Mm. So um, when you correct for that, like Wilson et al., for example, showed that if you um, refeed these kind of individuals, like on a ketogenic diet, 12 weeks ketogenic diet, and then refeed them for a week on a high-carb diet, they gain like 5% fat-free mass, which mm. is just water and glycogen, not muscle. Right. But it does make sense like, from the physiological perspective as well, because, you know, to do, let's say, resistance training at these uh, strength rep ranges and uh, even like near failure, then you use like, muscle glycogen, and you can, you know, mm -hmm. perfectly replenish muscle glycogen even on a low-carb diet. It may just take a long, longer time or, uh, yeah. Right. And, and even um, you, you have a lot of time because even if you train every single day, that's you know, 23 hours in between workouts. Mm. And even the, we looked at the lowest rates of um, fasted, even completely fasted glycogen resynthesis rates. And they were still actually adequate if you do the math replenish a typical workout glycogen storage in 24 hours and even a very strenuous workout in 48 hours mm. which you know the car carbs are a very efficient way to replenish glycogen storage but the body also has several carbohydrate independent pathways to resynthesize glycogen yeah and also during your during exercise it's not just glycogen that fuels your workouts there's also the creatine phosphate system which is probably about 20% of so of your efforts during the set that's uh, fueled by that. And there's the aerobic system. And the aerobic system actually contributes quite a lot um, also to the resynthesis. Um, or there indirectly it contributes a lot because there's resynthesis in between your sets, like during the session um, when you're training. And the contributions to that that we found are wildly different. So there, there are some methodological issues, but they range up to 70%. So 20 to 70%. I'm a bit skeptical of the 70% figure. Um, but, you know, it, it, if we just take the average, then it would be like half. It's still very, very significant. And if you add to that, that you just don't burn that much energy during a strength training workout. Mm. You know, if you're talking 400 calories and half of that's gone due to the aerobic system and the creatine yeah. phosphate system, you know, you have 200 calories, divide by four, it's only 50 grams of carbs that you would theoretically need to resynthesize uh, as glycogen. And it's not a lot. I mean, even on a ketogenic diet, you may have half of that from your diet, and then mm -hmm. the other half, the body can resynthesize via carbohydrate independent pathways. What, what are some of those pathways like without carbs? After the workout, your body can uh, effectively recycle the lactate that's produced and um, turn it into uh, glycogen or glucose and then glycogen, uh, which is the limits of that are still somewhat contested, but some research finds that the rate of that is still non-trivial. And um, th there is at least a fair amount of resynthesis even when fasted and presumably on like a higher protein intake, which also stimulates insulin release, that's gonna be amplified. And even on low carb diet, right, there are still some carbs that you consume. So, um, that's a big one. And then the glycerol backbone of triglycerides is probably a really big one. That's mm. something that hasn't been very well studied, but it can um, sustain someone during starvation fully. It can meet all glycogen or glucose demands while someone is um, 
starving. So presumably, if you are consuming a lot of fat, you have a lot of triglycerides coming into your, uh, into your body, and there is a, a scarcity of glucose, then that system will be upregulated a lot. Mm. And uh, it, there is no theoretical reason why that system could not contribute the majority of glucose needs. It's, bas it's basically using fat to create glucose and yeah. glycogen. Yeah, and the same applies to uh, protein, right? Yeah, the body can convert protein. That's probably not desirable uh, unless you have excess protein. Mm. But I think a lot of people will have excess protein on low-carb diets because it's relatively easy to consume enough protein. Mm -hmm. So at least there will be like some amino acids and most of the amino acids are glucogenic. So it can convert some of the excess amino acids used them to produce glucose. Um, I don't think that's uh, generally going to be a huge factor, but it is another pathway. And altogether, uh, they evidently add up to a significant effects. Hmm. So you would, would you say that, you know, if you compared, let's say like an average person, not like a high level athlete, let's say average person who eats like either a zero carb diet, like a carnivore diet uh, versus like a high carb diet, uh, then they're, let's say, at least like the rates of uh, muscle, muscle glycogen resynthesis would be the same. And uh, arguably there, you know, there's not going to be a huge difference between their strength uh, development either then. I mean, I think if you, you have someone that doesn't consume any carbs and someone that consumes carbs, right. the carb-consuming person will have faster rates of glycogen resynthesis, for sure. Mm. The question is, does that matter? It matters if you're going to train twice a day doing something like bicycling, like if you're doing like right. high-intensity bicycling twice a day. And it really matters that in between those two workouts, you have only a few hours. Then, yeah, then, then probably you're going to need that. Now, there is... If you look at like Folex studies, there, are, there is some evidence that endurance trainees can adapt to a high-fat diet. And then even then, um, you can push the limits a bit further of uh, how many, how, how, on how few carbs you could do well without impairing performance. But in most cases, like someone doing bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, and in these studies, even Taekwondo, um, CrossFit, which actually I had thought would be impaired by uh, low carb intakes, they were also not affected. Uh, gymnasts training like four hours a day, not affected. So it's really like team sports athletes, probably if you're gonna do two soccer matches in the same day, then I think you'll do better to some extent, especially if you're not adapted um, on higher carbs. But if you're just doing, you know, you're only doing strength training mm. or Probably also if you're doing very low intensity endurance training, but endurance training is not my specialty, so I won't speculate too much on that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the carb requirements are not uh, very high. In fact, they, they might be zero. Although in the paper, we do recommend 15 gram net carbs pre-workout within like three hours pre-workout. Uh, that should be possible even in a ketogenic diet. On a carnivore diet, uh, it would not be. So then the question is, uh, would that well, they... be inferior? The evidence for that currently is weak. But that mm. remains to be fully determined. Right. Well, I think carnivores are also eating honey, so <laughs> there could be a little possible some of them eating honey. Uh, well, that, 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 that would certainly do the trick. I didn't yeah. know that actually. Yeah. Well, honey is yeah, you know, animal based, so. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, but there's like you mentioned the brain side of you know perception of fatigue uh, is, if I if I remember correct, that it's better if you like have some carbs or glucose. Uh, do you, perceive you think that you are stronger from that 
but mm-hmm. is there like is there any like uh, actual direct effect of the carbs on let's say the willpower and uh, yeah just you know the ability to mentally push forward with the training? There is not. Uh, this has been studied quite well and for a long time. Studies by, for example, <clears throat> Roy Baumeister, who was sort of the grandfather of the willpower is like a muscle ID, uh, mm-hmm. which has turned out to be false. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the model performs somewhat well, but it is incorrect. Uh, you don't need the actual glucose. There have been multiple studies now that show um, in a series of failures of the model, you don't actually need to consume the carbs. That's, that's one. So if you just rinse them in your mouth, you mm-hmm. spit them out you can get similar effects. And then subsequent research showed, well, you can also use an artificial sweetener and it also works. So it doesn't even have to be carbs. Right. And probably it's just a sensation of something pleasurable. Like the brain just needs basically a hit of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then you, you can, because that's what's happening when the uh, anterior cingulate cortex in your brain is constantly monitoring your affect, like how well you're doing. And if what you're currently doing is making you unhappy, like you're filing your taxes, for example, (laughs) then the anterior circular content is like saying, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this really sucks. And at some point it's like, oh, look, candy. And then you're going to pay attention to the candy. That's basically what the anterior cingulate cortex does, the ACC. It monitors uh, affect and it controls your attention. And during strength training as well, you have to keep keep pushing. You need your attention, right? Mm. If your mind drifts, you can't, truly trained to failure. And if you're not sufficiently happy to some extent, like you have the, uh, the mental state to actively make yourself unhappy because that's what you're doing when you're pushing past your comfort zone, then you, you can't give maximum performance. And it doesn't have to do anything with carbs per se. It just so happened to be that carbs were the primary vehicle that researchers for many decades have given people in these situations uh, to make them feel better in some way because they mm. were always, you know, nobody ever tested, what if we give them uh, some butter? Will that make them mm. better? But right. probably actually it, it could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe it's like, does, it, does maybe insulin have any effect there or, uh, or no? Probably not. Um, it, the sweet taste is probably the most thing. Now there are some, there are some theories about oral uh, dopamine receptors that may be activated um, or receptors that trigger dopaminergic pathways uh, via, uh, via the mouth in the presence of carbohydrates, specifically glucose. But, you know, because artificial sweeteners and other uh, carb rinsing studies can find similar effects, I'm, I'm wary that that will have much physical effect. And even that dopamine would not be a truly physical effect. It would, again, be a mostly mental effect. Hmm. Is there you a good... need very critical uh, gl- dopamine depletion to get actual physical reductions in performance. Gotcha. Is there like any studies looking at whether uh, ketosis, uh, if you're in ketosis, then you know your brain technically has more access to uh, ketones. And is there like any difference between that perception of fatigue? Like maybe the brain has more energy if it's on in ketosis, at least like while, while fasted, like... Uh, Fasted in ketosis compared to fasted, uh, well, not in ketosis, is there like a more higher perception or higher like a threshold for the fatigue? I don't think there's research on the threshold of fatigue, but there are at least two studies that um, looked at subjective levels of mental energy. I think they define it as vigor or 
um, something like that. And at least two of them found that people in ketosis do actually have, they feel better and they have higher mental energy levels. However, anecdotally, that's certainly not the case for everyone. There are a lot mm. of people that just don't feel right being keto. Yeah. So most of them don't set the diet up well, but, and it's often in the first two weeks when they're not adapted and there's probably mineral depletion. But regardless, I, I'm, I'm very confident to say there are still a lot of people that do not react well to ketosis, just like yeah. any type of diet. There are people yeah. that don't react well to that diet. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how, what percentage of the population we'd be talking about that feels better versus worse. Uh, it will require a large scale study we don't have. Hmm. Did your uh, study look at the, um, like the timing of carbohydrates consumed? Um, like do those people consume carbs pre-workout, post-workout? Is there any difference in terms of you know, strength? Yeah, we looked at uh, different timeframes. And we also looked at the duration of fasting before the workout. And most of the effects were very unclear. There was a trend, a very rough trend for carbs to have more, more, more studies finding beneficial effects of higher carbohydrate intakes with fasting durations above about four hours. Mm -hmm. So if people were really fasted, but it was, it was not clear at all, which is in line with the trend that many of the effects are psychological slash there just aren't effects at all, right? So with, with that as a baseline knowledge, it's very difficult to say, is there more effect when you're fasted? Because we know that there isn't a real effect most of the time in the first place, regardless of whether you're fasted or fed. So then we are looking at the effects of fasting duration. It's going to become a very murky picture right. indeed. Hmm. What, by the way, is your personal opinion of what is the optimal way to or time to consume carbs when you're trying to yeah progress in resistance um i think we you need about 15 or to be safe i would recommend about 15 gram grams of carbohydrates within three hours of your workouts as well as at least 0 0.3 gram per kilogram protein it's like a good 20 gram high quality protein mm -hmm. uh, up to 40 for most individuals and probably that that's it that's like your safeguards uh, I would not recommend a zero carb diet. Mm. I think even on ketogenic diets, my experience is most of my clients, they can have up to 50 gram net carbs and they'll mm. still be in ketosis, especially with a targeted ketogenic diet. So you have 15 gram net carbs pre-workout, 15 gram post-workout, and you have 20 more grams to distribute among your remaining meals, which is probably going to be one or two meals max. Uh, so like 10 grams and two more meals. Mm. Uh, that's a setup actually I, I very commonly have, but 10 gram net. Uh, 10 gram, 15, 15, 10. Uh, and that's probably all the timing you really uh, need to be concerned with if you're just doing strength training. Like if you're mm -hmm. going to do soccer and everything, then things change quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I also like the targeted keto diet that you do like maintain a lot of the like mental benefits or the yeah, like mental clarity benefits of ketosis, but uh, you also get to get this like small boost of uh, performance uh, mm -hmm. before the workout if you consume like some carbs. Yes. I think a targeted ketogenic diet is essentially what economists would call a dominant option over a mm. normal ketogenic diet, meaning it's simply superior in every aspect. I can't <laughs> really think of any benefit of not doing it. Yeah. Unless you are really opposed to having carbs. But then yeah. I think that's an issue you also need to overcome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what kind of carbs um, before? 
same keto carbs. Like, I mean, if we're talking ketogenic diet. So uh -huh. in general, um, this is something that a lot of people, in large part due to the supplement industry, uh, have the idea that it needs to be dextrose or sugar. Uh, and in fairness, it might matter, but even then, for endurance training. But from what I've seen, again, not an expert on this, even for endurance training, the type of carb doesn't matter so much. Uh, in the end, most, the, most, the thing that matters the most is how much glycogen you have stored in your muscles. And even your pre-workout carbohydrate intake can only fix that to a limited extent because it still has to be digested and absorbed. Basically, pre-workout is to a large extent already too late. Mm. Like if you don't have sufficiently um, large glycogen stores for the workout that you're going to do, then patching that up at the end is gonna have only limited benefits. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, like the amount of muscle glycogen you have for that particular workout is determined by the night before, basically, or, you know, what did you eat? Yes, night? even the, the days before. Yeah. So glycogen that's in your muscles is going to stay there until you perform high-intensity exercise. So muscles don't have the enzyme that the liver does to essentially relocate the glucose and turn it back to glucose and move it somewhere else. So the liver is quite flexible in that way, but muscles are not. When it's stored in your muscles, it's there. It's going to stay there. And it's going to be used by that muscle. Like if it's stored in the biceps, it has to be used by the biceps. And it can typically only uses it during high intensity exercise. That's also why, for example, bodybuilders to take advantage of this with carb loading. Like they consume a lot of carbs in the last few days, typically before competition. And then as long as you don't train anymore from that point on, you keep that super compensated glycogen storage. Mm -hmm. it, it's there to stay until your next workout. Right, right. Yeah, carb loading is also one way of yeah. doing keto that you uh, basically stay keto, or it's like carb backloading, I think it's called, that you eat uh, low carb before the workout and after the workout you eat the carbs. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure if people are actually going to be in ketosis now. Yeah. If you do that daily, uh, some people can, but for most people it takes 48 hours, sometimes 72 or longer even, to actually get into 0.5 millimolar ketosis. Mm, yeah. Uh, fruit, does that have any like specific, specific effects? Uh, not much. In terms of performance, it's, it's very similar. Uh, even metabolically, it's, it's not so different as uh, we've, we've become commonly led to believe. Again, I think a lot of this comes down to the supplement industry that makes you think you need waxy maize starch or dextrose or maltodextrin or whatever. Um, and the, the fructose-free variants. But there's, there's no... Um, Reason for that. Fructose is actually muscles can also use fructose in contrast mm. to uh, older textbooks. So it's um, to, to a limited extent, at least. Right. I, I don't think it matters unless you're you're you know you're someone that consumes 500 grams fructose a day. But <laughs> that's uh, it's going to be very practically different unless you're supplementing. Mm, yeah. What would be like you know let's say someone is on keto, they're not progressing. Uh, what would you recommend to like would you recommend to just increase the carbs and see what happens or um, let's say the training is a, like a good program or whatever they're doing a mm -hmm. good program but they're just you know not seeing the results carbs would be one of the last things um i would look at honestly okay. like yeah i mean if if their carb intake was like 10 20 grams then yeah i'd say let's bump it up to 50 gram net and let's see see how that feels you know implement targeted ketogenic approach as we discussed uh, previously other than that, there are a million reasons I would first look at, like sleep quality, stress levels, overall nutrition, protein intake, mineral intakes, 
um, definitely the training program because even if it even if it looks like a good training program and it's scientifically a program that should perform well on average, it may not work well for that individual. Mm. Then there's exercise technique, the execution of the actual workouts, motivation, lots of factors I would address before jumping to the conclusion that it must be because of the low carbs. <laughs> but yeah, and on the other hand, like they're doing a high carb diet and they're not seeing results, what would you look at that? There's like similar, you know, sleep pod and things like mm -hmm. that. Or, yeah. Similar, yeah. I mean, unless they're uh, in the long run below 20% fat intake, mm. then I would, I would bump that up. I'm not a fan of having anyone below about 20%. In rare cases, temporarily during contest prep, maybe 10% or so, but very strong emphasis on temporarily. Other than that, 20% minimum and trying to get 30, 40. Funny enough, many people think that's that's high by like bodybuilding standards. It's, it's high fat, but it's actually in line with most um, official health agencies and governments recommend yeah. that as like a normal diet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um... Yeah, is there anything you like want to uh, mention about the study before we talk about the book? I think um, you can read it for free. I think that's uh, that's good to note, so everyone can look at the details. We have all the studies summarized. It's uh, it's a big one. It's a big boy with uh, forty five pages of dense information. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can look everything up. Look at specific sections, how it influences specific durations and everything. Um, the effect of carbohydrate intake on resistance and strength training performance a systematic review is the title all right that's it for this part of the episode stay tuned for the second part about menno's book on self-control